3: Hey everyone, welcome to WebCology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. It is Thursday, the second of August, and I'm afraid that Dave Davies can't join us this week, but that's okay because we have writer and reporter extraordinaire Miranda Miller from Search Engine Watch sitting in the uh, sitting in the co-host seat. Miranda, welcome to WebCology. Hi, thanks, Jim. It's cool having you on this side of the desk as opposed to interview. I've like used to interview. I've interviewed you uh on we've interviewed you on webcology almost a half dozen times. It's kinda cool having you sitting on this side of the desk this time.
0: I know, it's pretty cool being here.
3: Okay, we have a super tight show. Um apologies from Dave Davies. He's spending the next week in Whistler with his family, so today's his last day in the office and he needed a, a beanstalk SEO is pretty busy, so He's taking his last day in the office to get some actual work done.
4: Oh, I don't
3: have such problems, but i got a crackerjack staff. Um, <laughs> so we want to burn through the news as quickly as we can. We have uh, Brian Carter coming up after uh, after we are done our news segment. He's going to be our first guest. We're going to be talking about the you know, potentiality of click fraud over at Facebook. And then rounding out the hour, we have like cyber law expert Bennett Kelly coming on because, uh, you know, on Webcology, we've been talking a lot about copyright, we've been talking about SOPA, we've been talking about PIPA, we've been talking about um, you know laws that are going to be governing the environment that we work in, but we actually haven't talked a lot about what the state of internet law is today. So we have Bennett Kelly, um, Webmaster Radio host of uh, Cyber Law and Business Report, and um, one of the principals of Bennett Jones, a... Uh, law practice in Los Angeles, dealing specifically in cyber law. He'll be rounding out the hour with us. But first, Miranda, it's been a, uh, I mean, it's summertime. Things are a little bit slow in the tech world, but there's been some neat stuff going down. Um, first of all, Google Plus is, uh, is actually growing. And I, I, I actually, I learned this from you, from an article you'd published in Search Engine Watch, Oh, uh, had to be uh, two days ago.
0: Yeah. Um, that was from bright Edge's social share study. They put that out um I believe quarterly um so they were looking at Google Plus adoption among big brands and they found that three out of four of the top one hundred brands are now on Google plus
3: What happened? what changed what, Why in the last quarter did uh Google Plus suddenly get an audience?
0: Well, it has been that you know they're not really talking about audience. We don't know how many people are there. Um, participating and engaging with the brands that are there, but brands are starting to realize this is somewhere they need to be. Um, So it's about six times higher than when they looked at it in February. And I think it's just, it's becoming a standard. So people just know they have to be there now. It's not as new or experimental. It seems like it's going to stick around. So people realize they have to put a bit of budget into that.
3: Okay, and so they're actually... Well, I guess maybe maybe they're starting listening to their web development teams, their web marketing teams, or the SEO companies that they, they've hired third party. But um, do you see this coupled with, um, with Google's recent purchase of, uh, of Wildfire? Um, what do you see for Google Plus in the next few months?
0: Well, the Wildfire acquisition is really, really interesting, and it's been described as a bit of a Trojan horse. Um, Because Wildfire's biggest business is making Facebook apps. So they make uh, contest apps and they do Facebook marketing. So this gives Google quite a bit of insight into Facebook's marketing platform. And I really don't know how Facebook is going to deal with that. I did reach out to them to see what they thought of it. And they obviously don't want to comment right now. Um, (laughs) But in Wildfire's announcement, they kind of said, We expect things to continue as usual, and I will be really surprised if Facebook allows that to happen.
3: Uh, Yeah, that would be sort of like, um, you know, somebody working for um, Apple going to work for Android and expecting to continue working at Apple.
0: Yeah, and there was actually a really funny tweet from uh, Randy Zuckerberg, one of Mark's sisters that used to work Mm -hmm. at Facebook. And so with the acquisition of Wildfire, Google got another of Mark's sisters as a team member. No, so she said, "Congratulations, Google. There are now more um, Zuckerberg's working at Google than Facebook." <laughs> you know, so it's pretty things, comical. If things keep
3: going the way they're going, the the Zuckerberg's working at Google are going to be, you know, wealthier than the Zuckerberg's working at Facebook.
0: I know. <laughs> so but what were they? Another, I think another reason people are really moving to Google Plus now is because um, it does help you show up in the serps. So when you have a Google Plus page, 30% of the time that was on the front page. That was another thing that BrightEdge found. So that's and that's definitely an advantage for Google Plus.
3: That's and, and, and it, Google said they were going to do this. Like Google right. said straight up, you participate in Google Plus, you will get a boost in search rankings. But as an old-time SEO, I got to tell you, it still feels surprising that. Uh, Google is forcing people into using one of their systems because they were always the company that didn't do this sort of thing, and now they are. Um, And that sort of correlates or correspond or, you know, coincidentally, uh, when Larry Page took over the CEO position, Google started getting tough.
0: Yeah, they did, for sure. And it's not the same company it was when Larry and Sergey started it. You know, at college, it's never going to be that again. And when people repeat the, you know, don't be evil mantra, that just doesn't apply anymore. They're a corporation. Well, some,
3: you know, not all corporations are evil. Hell, I'm a corporation. (laughs) (laughs) And I love it. Uh, But uh, not all corporations are evil, although... I am beholden to a, you know, as, as a corporation, I'm beholden to a greater body than just myself. I got, you know, people who actually invested money in my company and I got to pay them back. And so, yeah, the choice is the choice is definitely narrow when you um, when you bring in investors. Right. And, yeah, clearly that happened to Google in the biggest way. And that seems to be happening with Facebook. But, uh, you know, there there isn't there's never been a shareholder revolt at Facebook uh, at Google. No. um there's been a bunch of happy shareholders i expect there to be one um in and around facebook sometime in the next couple quarters we'll see what happens with that um moving along with uh with well i guess a look at social media did you did you hear the one about the poor fella the poor the poor um reporter guy adams who uh i guess he works for the bbc he's an american reporter working for the bbc and He wrote a uh, critique of NBC's coverage of the London Olympic Games and in in his critique, in his quick Twitter critique, he included the email of an NBC executive. Twitter informed NBC that this happened and informed NBC that they were welcome to file a complaint, which they immediately did causing the suspension of Guy Adams, the temporary suspension of Guy Adams' Twitter account.
0: Well, now, and Mr. didn't Twitter actually show him how to fill out the report, too? Like, they guided him through it? Yeah.
3: They, they guided NBC through how to complain about somebody who used their system, and then when the complaint came in, they shut him down. Hmm. That felt really weird when I read that. Like, that, that made me feel kind of, kind of spooked, actually.
0: Yeah, that is really strange coming from Twitter too, because they're usually really respectful respectful of people's privacy. They don't always comply with government requests for user data. Um, it's that's, you almost have to wonder if there's something personal going on there. I don't know.
4: Well,
3: given Twitter is a partner with NBC in covering the Olympics. And Twitter has its own deal with the Olympic Committee, um, you know, uh, as the, the official social media outlet of the 2012 Olympics. So, I, you know, it, it, it feels like when Twitter saw one of their partners being criticized, and I've watched some of that NBC coverage, um, yo, friends in America, get satellite TV, see <laughs> real Olympic coverage anywhere else but NBC. Um I don't, we don't have any deals with NBC, do we, George? They're not going to take us off the airwaves. You're not going to take us off the airwaves, <laughs> though, are you? Um, no, but the, look. Before, you, right before you hold on, before you go and crap over NBC, we already know that NBC's like, you know, they're not good
2: when they just run their coverage on their own network. But the good thing is, you can watch, you know, other coverage of other sports, like on my on a lot of the cable services out there. Soccer alone is set on this own channel. Basketball is set alone on its own channel, so you can see separate Sorry sports about out that, there. Friends,
3: it's a fire somewhere in Toronto. <laughs> So, I mean, yeah,
2: happens, and by the way, you have three minutes left before segment. No,
3: oh, really? Okay. Okay, so we're 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 done NBC bashing. Let's go after CBS. No, they haven't done anything recently. Uh, what else do we got out there? What else has been happening? Interesting in the cyber news. Uh, Rim's in trouble again. They're laying off a whole whack load of people. Um,
0: that's not really news anymore,
3: though, is it? No, like it's rim it's rim death watch. Unfortunately, um, I'm still a BlackBerry user. So am R- I. Uh what are you going to do? What what are you going to jump? Seriously, are um, you are you prompted to jump because Rim's in trouble?
0: Not really. I'll I'll wait until the bitter end. What I have friends this? who work at Rim. You know I'm about an hour and a half from Waterloo. Yeah. And you know I'm really worried about my friends that have jobs there. But they seem to not want to bail. They're pretty loyal.
3: Is it the keyboard? For you? Like what is it what is I it ask- about about the it's rim cheaper. device yeah me it's too i can't i can't get over it. i can't imagine I, I i got a feeling i'd put my finger through the iphone or the android <laughs> screen you know sometimes as a writer you get really incensed You just have to type it out
0: true and especially when you're live blogging or live tweeting you just can't do that on an iphone
3: okay we're uh seconds away from ending the segment um just because I like poking at these guys, <laughs> uh-oh, message from studio. Uh, just because I love poking at these guys, any uh, any fallout from that controversy a couple of weeks ago?
0: No, nope, not a word. No, okay. I read, well. some, I read some of his other articles, and you know, it's really not surprising. He seems to have a problem with women and successful women in business. So that's well. his deal. <laughs>
3: you know if 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 uh everything went according to plan, there's a number of successful women in business who have a problem with him too, so there yeah. you go, yeah anyway, we gotta go to break because we have waiting in the wings brian carter um social media expert and expert author, author of the like economy how to how businesses make Money with Facebook. He's gonna be coming up as our guest uh directly after the next messages, following brian we're gonna have. Uh, Bennett Kelly, um, Cyber Law and Business Report. Uh, Friends, this is going to be a really fun show. This is uh, Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and joined by Miranda Miller from Search Engine Watch. Friends, stick around. We'll be back on Webcology and Webmaster Radio FM after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology.
2: We'll be back after this short break.
3: Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs.
2: Learn, optimize, connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Rise links and web indexes. Take a bow to the largest link map in the world To use your time and let Majestic wield its mighty sword. MajesticSEO.com It's good to be king.
5: I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition.
2: To get your free extended trial
4: of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis.
2: Webmasterradio.fm. Keep your headphones handy and the feed loaded. We never stop. Do you? Commercial's off. Now back to Webcology, only
3: on WebmasterRadio.fm. you are the host Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, joined this week by Miranda Miller, a writer extraordinaire at Search Engine Watch, and Miranda and I are joined by Brian Carter, Author of "The Like Economy: How Businesses Make Money on Facebook," Brian. Welcome to Webcology.
5: Thanks, guys. How you doing?
3: Amazing. How are you doing?
5: Pretty good. I'm good. So,
3: um, it's been a uh, <laughs> it's been a kind of a controversial couple of months for Facebook, but this week in particular, they've had a couple of stories out there that, um, well, that that. Almost make it feel like two thousand and five two thousand and six with uh, remember back in two thousand and five two thousand and six we were all talking about Google and click fraud click fraud here, click fraud there bot yeah. clicks fake yeah. clicks etc well facebook's being hit by that, and Brian you're one of uh my business partner alan connect I, I I call him up yesterday mm-hmm. and i 'm like alan I, I I need a guest for uh to talk about Facebook we need the first guy Brian Carter oh I
5: okay.
3: know eh so uh. <laughs> Brian, what is yeah. going on with Facebook? Is, is the reports that we're reading, um, is, is, is our money safe at Facebook when we're advertising there?
5: Yeah, well, I mean, I don't work for Facebook and I'm not going to do their PR, but I'll tell you what I know is that this one report of a company that says 80% of their Facebook ad traffic is bots um, has gotten a lot of coverage. Um, so, I mean, one thing is clear is Facebook's PR department. Um, is not winning. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so I mean, the the thing is I've talked about this with other people like, um, you know, Marty Weintraub who wrote the -hmm. the Facebook main, you know, the main book on Facebook ads. Um, and Dennis Hughes company does a lot of Facebook ads. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, our collective, um, wisdom is, uh, number one, uh, we don't see click fraud above 10% typically on Facebook. um, so this is a strange. It's a strange report, um, and it's kind of being reported as if, like, because that's true, that then it's true for every company. I mean, it's possible that company had one malicious competitor that set up some bots or something, right? And and we don't have their data. They're just reporting on their data. So there's a lot of stuff we don't know about it. Um, I, I think what's weird is that people's immediate thought is that it's some kind of conspiracy. Um, you know, Facebook is what? What are faking clicks themselves, and also was involved in the Kennedy assassination and, <laughs> and, and, and what? I mean, I you know what I mean? I mean, if that were true, that would probably be like the biggest news story like of the decade, right? Well, that
3: that that would be incredible. Um, and yeah. I, I guess I can see where those where that thought comes from. At least with Google, when Google was going through its click fraud, um, its quote unquote. Click fraud misery. Um, people could see why click fraud was being committed. The uh, AdSense program giving fifty percent of uh, revenue from every click to somebody who had a, an ad word running on their private website. You know, you could, you, yeah. you could see how people were 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 scamming that. But Facebook doesn't have a distributed advertising program. It the only reason to commit click fraud would be A, Facebook trying to make money for themselves or bolster their own uh, click stats or B, somebody being predatory against a competitor right. and I mean that's you know, you've got to either be a real scuzzbag or amazingly well organized to, to yeah, pull well, that off
5: As we know though, there are a lot of people who have programming abilities and also you know dubious ethics
3: Well indeed, but how much money of your competitors can you really waste by committing click fraud
5: at Facebook? Um, I don't know. I mean, there's like I said, there's a lot we don't know about this particular situation. I think what makes Facebook a little bit more vulnerable than Google is the fact that um, you know Facebook marketing is different. It's you know requires different um, activities. The ads are different, um, and people have people have trouble with it. I mean, I, you know, I would be um, really concerned if I'd never seen any company ever profit from Facebook ads, but there are. Good case studies out there, and there are others that you know I can't report on because of NDAs, and a lot of people don't want it. Once a company discovers how to do well on Facebook, they don't want their competitors to know. So we don't see as many case studies as there actually are. Um, but so since there are companies profiting from Facebook and Facebook ads, you know, if it were true that eighty percent of that traffic was fake, it would be. I, I don't really believe that would be possible. You know,
3: to well, and why, and you. And you'd think if 80% of clicks at Facebook were fake, there'd be
5: more than one or two articles about it out there, eh? Right. We would have seen this sooner, I think.
0: I actually asked the, um, the company, was called Limited Pressing, and they had two separate issues. One was the 80% bot figure that they came up with. Um, but they also said that Facebook was holding their name that they wanted for their page hostage, so that was right. another that really upset a lot of people and yeah, when I Facebook
5: looked, replied to that, I mean they said um, they said that doesn't sound like anybody we hired basically because that's not their their typical uh line, so I mean right. there and was a when, public response on that
0: When I looked at what they wanted, that page is taken and has been taken since two thousand and ten by a oh. company called Limited Run, so that was you know it right. wasn't ever possible anyway. But I did ask Limited Pressing if I could see their raw data because apparently they had been testing this for a month and they built their own, you know, analytics system and that's how they identified these bots. But they didn't have anything that they could share. So without any verification, I was really leery of it.
5: It's kind of a a David versus Goliath PR story in a way. But, you know, like as one buddy, uh, as one person, one buddy, one person said they said, uh, who is... Who is this company? I've never heard of them before, right? Obviously, you've heard of Facebook. Facebook has many, many employees, right? So if there was some crazy conspiracy going on like this, pretty sure they wouldn't be able to keep that under wraps.
0: Right.
3: You know, there there was another thing that you said uh, a few sentences back, Brian, that that really interested me. Um, You said you were speaking with um, Marty Weintraub and Dennis Yu and uh, that, you know, the the, the collective... um, Collective Intelligence says approximately 10% click fraud. That corresponds, or less than 10%, sorry, that that corresponds with another thing I read, um, I I think this morning actually, where somebody was claiming that about 8% of Facebook profiles are fake profiles. Is there a correlation between those numbers?
5: Well, I don't think so. That number comes from Facebook, and, and it's very similar to what Twitter has released about their own stuff. I mean, a lot of this comes out because they they have to release information to the SEC. But, um, but, yeah, I mean, so, no, I don't think that um, fake Facebook profiles are clicking on ads, right? I mean, those are if they're fake people, they can't click on ads. So, and you don't, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, is I don't know, we don't know, there's no way to know. And the only thing that really matters is if an individual company is able to uh, successfully market and profit on Facebook, you know some companies do succeed some don 't and and my point is that it's it 's different and it 's harder on Facebook partly because the sales cycle is longer than on search engines right because mm-hmm. um, people are you know it 's the buying intent thing, so anyway, my point is that because it 's harder to market on facebook it 's also you know it 's easy to cop out and say you know maybe it 's because it's fake traffic, right? Now, without
3: putting you in any position to uh, violate an NDA, I I, I wouldn't want to do that at all. Um, You're a practitioner. You're working with Facebook advertisers. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to have to phrase the question extremely generally. But you, I mean, you've got a business. Marty's got a business. Dennis has a business working in Facebook ads. What are people doing wrong why are they not making money on Facebook if there's complainers they're not making yeah. money
5: well I mean number one you've got to either target the right people or get the right people as fans so if you get the wrong audience or the wrong fans they're never going to buy from you right so you can yeah. you can screw it up there um, once you get those fans if you're not reaching enough of them because of the newsfeed algorithm or ed rank, whatever you want to call it um, you're not visible enough So, you know, you've already lost a percentage, uh, a large percentage of your audience. um, So you can have trouble there getting volume, like getting traffic volume and and then sales volume. Uh, And number number three, when you're doing all this stuff to engage people on Facebook, um, if you forget to persuade people to buy, you're in trouble because, like I said, you know, if these people aren't, um, ready to buy whatever it is you have right now, like they often are on Google and other search engines, um, you have to do more than you're used to to persuade them or to get them to buy sooner, right? So if that's not part of your strategy and tactics with your Facebook posts, you, <laughs> you're going to be waiting, you know, you're going to have to be more patient. Um, sometimes, you know, AdWords really seems like a an ATM because you get the right keywords, then... Um, and you have the right conversion rate and the right, uh, you know, profit per order, you know, you can do pretty well, right? Um, but Facebook's more complicated because we're reaching people who are not quite as ready. Um, you know, so there. those are three key things that people can, can screw up, you know? Um, they have to be reaching people repeatedly and persuasively.
0: So, Brian, do you have any tips or tools for as far as multi-touch attribution that could help people figure out the real value of a Facebook fan for them?
5: Um, well, no, I, you know, I, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think, I don't know. if I mean, I'll tell you this. When I have looked at multi-touch point attribution, um, I'm usually stunned by how not useful it is. Um, it, it, okay it that's interesting that sounds good, but the data I've seen like it I ha, you know it doesn't what are you gonna do? I mean are you gonna stop um, let's say Facebook just raises awareness for you or you know it, it helps you sell those people with a longer sales cycle You could certainly cut it down and say I'm only gonna do Google AdWords um, but but that's not even possible for some Companies because nobody's searching for what they offer because they don't know it exists. You know, if you have a totally new product or new service, you know, and you're in some kind of blue ocean um, niche, then you're going to have trouble. You have to raise awareness.
0: So, okay. So even if you can't directly tie sales to it, there's still a brand building value there.
5: Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing with multi-touchpoint attributions. You got to say, are we going to go last click or first click or in the middle? You know. Mm-hmm. Um Right? So it, that's going to depend somewhat on your budget and, and um, your strategy. I mean, I think a lot of small businesses, if they can, it's going to be really tempting to just go to AdWords. But since AdWords is so expensive, if they don't have a really high-priced product or service, they're not going to be able to profit. So then they're trying to do Facebook with or without ads, and they're trying to do all kinds of free uh, duct tape, guerrilla marketing <laughs> contests and stuff mm-hmm. like that right I mean every every business has different problems um, but I just usually recommend that people try a mix you know I mean I'm not sure there's going to be much more of an upshot from multi-channel attribution than you know do some of everything
0: right
3: uh, Brian I'm afraid we've, uh, we've actually reached the end of this segment I have I'm sure Miranda has a dozen more questions we'd like to <laughs> ask um, I want to invite you back on the show again but before inviting it back on the show, which I guess I just did, I want to plug your book. I was going to say, if only there was a book people could read that would answer a lot of the questions that we want to ask. As it happens, there is. It's called The Like Economy, How Businesses Make Money with Facebook, published by Q Publishers. And uh, I think it's got your name on it. It does. <laughs> Congratulations <laughs> on that. Um, and uh, thank you so much for spending the time with us on Webcology.
5: Sure. Thanks, thanks for having me.
3: Friends, that was Brian Carter, author of The Like Economy, How Businesses Make Money with Facebook. Again, published by Q Publishers. I'm pretty sure you can pick it up at fine bookstores or at Amazon.com anywhere. we got to take a break here on Webcology. We're coming back with, um, well, with one of my favorite guests um, of all time, Bennett Kelly. Um, he's a webmaster radio host. He's host of Cyberlaw and Business Report. And he's also one of the principals at Bennett Jones a uh, law practice in California specializing in cyber law we got a truly interesting segment on copyright, SOPA, PIPA cybersecurity, etc coming up after these messages. so this is on behalf of Miranda Miller from Search Engine Watch this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always media friends stay tuned we got some fun stuff coming up after these messages sit
2: tight and don't move Webcology we'll be back after this short break
0: That's SearchMetrics.com.
2: Let's go inside the WebmasterRadio.fm production studio, where the production team is stitching up podcasts to load up into the WebmasterRadio.fm Stitcher channel.
5: Rock
1: on, Laurie, and rock the world with LinkedIn.
5: Welcome to Domain Masters, a show where you learn to be the master of your domain.
1: Yeah,
4: I want to welcome you to this edition of the SEO Rockstars. Hi, this is Bennett Kelly, and you're listening to the Cyber Law and Business Report.
0: And welcome to CEO Coach.
2: Listen to all of your favorite WebmasterRadio.fm podcasts without downloading. Only on the WebmasterRadio.fm Stitcher channel. Just click on the Stitcher banner on our website. Podcasting at the speed of sound. WebmasterRadio.fm,
1: the flamethrower.
2: WebmasterRadio.fm, we're everywhere. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only
3: on WebmasterRadio.fm. you are the host Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Webcology here on WebmasterRadio.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media joined by Miranda Miller from Search Engine Watch. Uh, afraid Dave couldn't make it this week. He's on vacation next week and needed the extra hour to tend to his business before going away for a week, but we have a truly interesting segment coming up. We have Bennett Kelly, um, Webmaster Radio host of the Cyber Law and Business Report, and also one of the principals of Bennett Jones, a uh, law practice in California specializing in cyber law. And uh, Bennett, welcome back to Webcology. We often talk about um, PIPA, SOPA, cyber law, copyright. We talk about changes that are coming, or that are, that they may be coming down the le- legislative pipe to the ecosystem we work in. But you know what we don't talk about often? How things are now. The laws surrounding the internet ecosystem vis-a-vis security, vis-a-vis privacy, and vis-a-vis um, copyright. A lot of us know what may or may not be coming down the road because you know we're, we're actively lobbying for our positions. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of us are actually kind of clueless as to the state of cyber law today. How um, how different is the state of cyber law today
4: from what we see in proposed legislation like SOPA and PIPA? Well, I think the, the thing about SOPA and PIPA was that it would have been somewhat of a radical change. Um, it would have created a presumption of guilt and um, it would have allowed – you know, removal of content extraditionally, you know, without you know due process, and and so it, it was a dramatic change in terms of how we um, communicate on the internet. And you know, for, luckily, it died. And ACTA, what some people feared was just a you know um, SOPA in disguise, um, that died in Europe um, very surprisingly. And so it's it's going to be an ongoing battle. Right now, we just started implementation of the. Um, kind of the what 's calling called the measured response um, you know France a few years ago tried to do a three strikes in your out copyright um, regime where if you were found to be violating copyrights more than three times you'd be disconnected from the internet and um, and so here we have a a measured response where you could get is um, a it, s the response from the isps escalates depending on your level of violation and um you know so you get a couple of warnings and then there's a a copyright school you have to go to kind of like the equivalent traffic school (laughs) and so that that's kind of it's that's just starting i mean it remains to be seen how that's going to operate because the um the way that works is um you know so far the uh the YouTube video you're supposed to watch as part of um, your, quote, quote, traffic school copyright thing is actually, doesn't really cover free, you know, fair use. And, you know, there's some questions about whether it's actually really an accurate depiction in current state of copyright law. So um, it's been, it's, that's going to be interesting to watch and see whether that expands or not. But, um, you know, the ISPs are trying to act um, cooperatively because, um, you know, and any battle over what stuff should be taken down, you know, they're in the middle. And so they're trying to appease you know, some of the concerns involved so you know, they don't always have to fight on Capitol Hill about whether um, they should be doing more or not.
3: Well, I'm surprised. Isn't this going to cost the
4: ISPs uh, money? Yeah,
3: they'll, they'll have to monitor and then they'll have to take action. That's, uh, that's technology and staff time.
4: Well, I mean, it already happens to an extent. I mean, YouTube, for example, uh, they have, have they've created technology to allow content providers to um, you know to actually back, be involved in the back end and, and monitor things electronically as videos are loaded. And the, the way it would work, it was actually the burden would be it's still on the content provider as it is now to um, you know alert them to uh, you know an alleged violation, and then they would look into it and contact the users. Okay.
0: And Bennett, I wanted to ask you specifically about ACTA. Um, I've been reading reports since the European Union voted it down that it could actually be revived, or and we're seeing some sort of reincarnations in legislation like CETA, um, which is the Canadian-European trade agreement, where they're taking a lot of the pieces from ACTA and trying to move them over into different trade agreements. So, do you think this is the last we've really seen of ACTA, or are we going to just see other legislation like it pop up?
4: Well, just to clarify, the interesting thing about ACTA was that um, you know it's in some ways it's it's good it's good that it's dead, um, but it would have been interesting to see how that would have played out had Europe approved it and it come to the United States, because in the United States they were taking the position that both the Bush and the Obama administration were taking the position that this is an executive agreement and and so it didn't require Senate confirmation. So what is the distinction between an executive agreement and a treaty? Um, well, one, you get more points in Scrabble for the executive agreement um, than you <laughs> would for the treaty. But um, <laughs> the other more important distinction is that you probably couldn't even do executive agreement. <laughs> <laughs> or- Distinction is that an executive agreement generally means that there is no change in existing law; that it's just consistent with our existing legal structure, and so therefore, Senate confirmation isn't required. And there was there was some give and take and battle um, between Senator Ron Wyden, who was a big SOPA opponent. Um, and the administration over whether or not it really would require Senate confirmation because of the you know, to what the extent it could arguably change U.S. law, and um, you know, and that's the 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 whole concern that it was this wolf in sheep's clothing, and. Um, and that basically, once it was adopted, you know this benign, kind of boring type of agreement that supposedly doesn't change existing law all of a sudden would be interpreted much more broadly. and so that was the concern that this was a backdoor attempt to do SOPA and some other things. And so even with that dead, there's now this, um, you know the, the Pacific trade agreement that um, negotiations are going on, and again, like ACTA, a lot of it's being done in secret, and um, some people are. Um, being excluded from the process. So, some people who were concerned about ACTA and SOPA um, were told that if they wanted to be part of the discussions, they actually would have to buy in, that they had to buy a table at the recent, um, the last rounds of negotiations that, uh, that were held in Dallas.
3: Okay, I have to uh, ask you to pull at your crystal ball. Um, cuz none of us have any idea what's coming up next but you might be in a better position to have a rough idea what we're going to be facing next um do we have another fight on our hands coming up around our rights as webmasters our rights to uh to to, to publish material
4: um uh, well uh, do you want to start now or do you want to take the I'm sorry sorry okay I I thought you were going to a break my my mistake um I think I think this is going to be an ongoing t- I think you're going to have um, an ongoing battle between the content providers and you know, the various other copyright interests, um, and trying to you know get one uniformity. I, I think that's one of the one of the things that moving moving the process is. You just businesses want to have a consistent regime uh, across different countries. Um, but another uh, battle that it's part of we saw it was driving so is the question about um, you know to what extent can force their rights and uh, and so content producers are, are really trying to uh, restrict and limit dissemination of their information on the internet and they, you know, just and that's gonna whether it's a trade agreement or some other thing that, that tension continue
0: So Jim and i I remember us talking during the whole. Um, protest of SOPA, and Jim, you had suggested for an article I wrote that we just didn't have the right players at the table to be developing this kind of legislation, Um, and you made a number of good suggestions about people in tech and lawmakers and all of these different people, the content producers that needed to be there. Bennett, do you think that that's happening with the newer legislation that they're drafting, or is it still sort of just operating at a government level without maybe all players involved?
4: Sure. Yeah, I've actually I've had some experience. Of, you know, um, I've been able to go to Cap and and you know they have to get smart. Um, and one day, um, they're dealing with soap. and um, nuclear waste or um, you know, some other very complex issue. So um what they do is um you know what they do is um very complicated you know, they, they they have to do a lot of issues and so it's incumbent on the tech community really to um educate them and make sure they know what's going on and i i I was recently at um the tech policy summit that was held in napa and um what was going on you know, on there is it's constant, is that um, the tech community often feels that Washington needs to spend more effort understanding them. But, you know, Washington is, we're here, we're Washington, we're always going to be Washington. <laughs> and right. you guys have a better job of educating us. And so I, I think we are doing a better job of that. Um, And I do think that the understanding of tech issues in Washington has improved dramatically from the the years I've been talking to them. Um, But, you know, there's always room for improvement. But... um, the point, the big point, though, is that we have the tech community has not done a great job in educating Washington on their shoes. And I always tell people, look at your congressman. If he or she is smart, you know, great, good for you. But if you're not talking to them, you know, they could be rewriting your business plan and without knowing it. And so it's incumbent on you to make sure they understand your business and the issues that affect them.
3: You know, part, partially, I, I, I once thought this was a generational thing. You know, we had guys like the late Senator Ted Stevens, who <laughs> obviously, quoting from his aides, um, likened the, the the internet to a series of tubes with dump trucks running through it. But then we have, um, or I should say we had representatives like Olivia Snow, who clearly understood the internet and the internet economy. Um now they were they were both of approximately the same generation, but I'm going to put the question to you, Bennett. Is this a generational thing? Is it just that the legislators are of a generation that don't quite get the internet? The internet well, and, is like VCRs to them.
4: And that, that's evolving. I mean, you know, the late Senator Stevenson. You know, I still tease him. I have a section in my newsletter called Ted's Tubes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it was, and the quote was, "The internet is not a truck; it's a series. Two. And um, so. Um, and the scary thing about you know Ted was that he was the chairman of the Senate committee that had principal jurisdiction over the internet, and so. But I think there is a, a generational thing. You know, we all seen the. I mean, if you have worked at a big enterprise, and you know the older people have their computers, um, they're not using it like the younger people. They, they're using it for this great purpose, putting pictures of their grandchildren, and yeah. uh, great podium of for that. <laughs> but I do think you know I've seen, and to the credit, there are some. Younger people, I mean older people who have really gotten involved and tried to understand the issues and um but yeah, I think it's going to be um, you're going to see more savvy you know um, elected officials as we move on just because yeah, they're, they're dealing with it, but right now, you know the usual lead into a, a hearing where a member says, we want to address this problem is well. My grandson, or <laughs> my granddaughter. And so that clearly isn't the best way to, to, to address policy. It's better if you're more hands on.
3: Okay, uh, I don't mean to put you in this position. It is an election year. Um, is there a difference between the Republicans and the Democrats when it comes to addressing cyber law?
4: Yes. And okay. the, um, I mean, a, a couple of issues, and and surprisingly, yeah, normally, you know, we're best. We're, we're kind of back page newspaper stuff. Um, you know, very rarely are we the front page, or are we the main battle of the week in Capitol Hill. But this year we have been, and it's been interesting. You've had SOPA, um, but you, you, know, you also had net neutrality, and there's a big difference in the parties on that. And you know, and part related to net neutrality, broadband expansion. When the Democrats are definitely pushing that more than the Republicans, and you know, I think you know, I, I was able to have on my show um, the people from. Um, which up until Kansas City recently got dubbed by Google, um, you know they had a one gig, um, you know an internet. System. I'm drooling over that. It was saying the opportunities it was creating. People wanted to locate in Chattanooga, um, you know, because of that, and you know and the newer technologies. I mean, you know, I once looked at you art. Know, our- cities compared to the top cities in uh, Akamai does a great you know, study every quarter on where we are in speeds and the you know the time it would take for you to download um, Star Wars once uh, you know on a US system they, in South Korea they they could have downloaded it like 7 times and so just think of you know as they're developing technologies that operate at those higher speeds it's going to be some time before they're available here because we don't have that speed and you know, those are you know, that's innovation and in jobs that are going to start you know elsewhere so I think those, that's, a big, that's a big point where they do differ I think on a lot of issues there is overlap on copyright um, and uh, in terms of you know, on those issues I think that's fairly consistent um, but I think the, the, those are very significant issues. Is there a
3: easy? Okay, it's a difficult question to phrase. Given the fractiousness of Congress, and I imagine congressional committees are just as partisan and just as fractious. Yes. Is there a easily seen path to clarity in the environment we're working in, coming in the near
4: future? In '94, you had a, a, a major shift in um, one political system. You had the Republicans taking over you know, the House, and Senate, um, for the first time since the '50s, and but you, you had a much more ideological Congress than you, than you had before, and um, you know and Gingrich really bred this in terms of those people, and he discouraged um, people from staying in Washington to actually get to know the other side. He wanted them back in the district, you know, campaigning. And so you have this system where, instead of everyone thinking we're we're, part, we're all in the same boat, but just disagree on direction. You now have you know, groups that actually think the other side is wrong or evil, and and you know it's on both sides. But you know, definitely is a, a much more ideological um, component um, in in the the new Republican Congress. And and so I think um, that that as long as you view this in such black and white terms, then it's it's hard to reach accommodation. Does that make your job harder? Um, well, I mean, I don't have to go to Capitol Hill that often, but um, you know, it does. I mean, but luckily, in tech issues, that have we have been able to reach across party lines. Um, you know, I, I dealt with on um, um, Capitol Hill on spiral issues, and once they both understood the issue, it was easy for them to say, "Okay, you know, we, if you're going to craft legislation, let's be reasonable." And um, but it's more the the money issues that you know taxes, and, and just the rule of government, you know, they're going to come at that different ways.
3: Okay, Bennett, we're down to our last two minutes, so I've got to, I guess i got to pack a bunch of questions into one, and uh, the easiest way to do that is to ask you, what are the top three things that could come down the pipe from Congress, or, or even from any individual state, that would make the internet a better place to do business in for webmasters?
4: Oh, um. Webmaster I think um, the staving off efforts to amend the Communications Decency Act, I think you know, there's some people that want to narrow the scope of that so um, certain content, for example, there's this big backlash against Backpage over their prostitution ads and, and so people want to tamper with right now the webmasters have immunity for the content on their site, and so I think the, the big thing that can happen for them is nothing. Um, because the, uh, that's, that's their, the most important thing that they have, and I think any tampering that with that would be a problem. Um, I think a nice thing that could happen is that I know Eric Goldman, the professor at Santa Clara, um, mm-hmm. he's advocating what is called a, um, a federal, nationwide anti SLAP law. And SLAP is um, strategic lawsuits against public participation where people um, you know, often sue to kind of discourage. People Voicing their views, and it's and the anti-slap law means if someone hits you with a frivolous lawsuit um, before it goes forward, you get to file a motion, and they have to prove that the case is you know, complete BS in order to proceed. And um, I think that that would save a lot of money dealing with frivolous lawsuits. So um, you know, those that would be a good thing to support. Well, Bennett. Um- I have a thousand more questions
3: for you and only a couple seconds left in the segment. So I'm going to have to invite you back on again sometime and I'm going to have to invite people to listen to your show, Cyber Law and Business Report. I got that name right. Um, <laughs> uh, airing on Webmaster Radio. Actually, I think there's a, a um, segment of your show, a segment of your show coming up in three hours.
4: What day oh, is your show on? What day, day is, is your show air live? airs live Wednesdays at 10 um, Pacific one p.m. East one p.m. Eastern, and um, we may have a big announcement soon about our next guest. Um, we may have a, an Olympian on to talk about um, a historic uh, Olympics. So we'll okay, have- well,
3: there's a big hint to a big announcement coming up on uh, <laughs> Cyberlaw Cyber law and Business Report. Um, Bennett Kelly, thank you so much for spending time with us on Webcology today.
4: Thank you. It's always a pleasure.
3: Friends, that was Bennett Kelly, um, again, host of the Cyberlaw and Business Report, um, and also one of the principals of the Internet Law Center. I know I got that name right. You've been listening to Webcology here on Webmaster Radio FM, and Miranda, thank you so much for uh, for joining us as a guest host today.
0: Well, thank you so much for having me. That was fun.
3: Anytime. Absolutely <laughs> anytime. Uh, that was Miranda Miller from uh, Searching you Watch. She uh, jumped in to save my bacon when Dave when Dave Davies um, decided he was going on vacation at Whistler again. Um, so, friends, this has been uh, Webcology on WebmasterRadio.fm. On behalf of Miranda Miller from Search Engine Watch, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Stay tuned to Webmaster Radio. we got some great content coming up on the network after the news.